Thank you. So Bobby is actually down at my location this morning. We, we actually did a swap from Bridgeport, Lincoln Park, Lincoln Park to Bridgeport. And it's so glad to, I'm so glad to be here. It's super fun. In typical Bobby fashion, he's calling me while he's driving down. You got everything you need, Luke? Is everything okay? Yeah, Bobby, just relax. I'm going to preach. I'm going to take care of your people for one day. It's okay. He loves you guys. I'm thankful. Just a word about Bobby. I've known him since the late 90s. We went to Moody Bible Institute together. And what I remember about Bobby is that he was in charge of the group that did fun things on campus. And uh, so that's the memory I had of him. And then later, when he joined New Life, we got to become friends. We've been in many small groups as pastors together. And I just want to honor him publicly. You have, as your pastor, a great man of God, a great husband, a great father, a shepherd, and a great teacher. So, Jeanette, hello to you back there. Um, I'm so grateful to be here. I bring you greetings. Um, As was said, we are one church in many different locations. I'm from New Life Bridgeport, and just a few things about us. We have been New Life since 2002, so in October, we celebrated our 20 years. I feel very old saying that, but it is true. We have an English service and a Mandarin service. That's Chinese, Mandarin. Our neighborhood is over 40% Asian, uh, but there's diversity within that Asian population. Some Cantonese speaking, some Mandarin speaking, some ABCs, American-born Chinese who prefer English. And so we have a burden for all the tribes that are in our neighborhood in Bridgeport. We have a ministry partner in our building called Urban Christian Academy. That's the picture in the middle They are an after-school program, summer programs. They have 80-plus students all the time. And so our building takes a beating for Jesus. That's what I like to say. But we are grateful for it. But I wanted to let you know some of the things happening there. We have a burden for the Inglewood neighborhood. And I want to say that because God might have given you a burden for the Inglewood neighborhood. And I believe that it takes the whole body of Christ to reach the whole city of Chicago. And so we've been doing a life group down there for about seven years, as well as ministry in Bridgeport. So that's a little bit about us. And now to the word of God. If you have your copy of the scriptures, can you open it to the book of Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. As you're turning there, I want to bring us into this series that we have started entitled Life Together. Uh, Last week, Pastor Bobby started it here, I started it in Bridgeport, about the privilege and the necessity of the body of Christ. Perhaps you've been a Christian for a little while and you've always gone to church on Sundays. And what we want to wake us up to is the fact that that's a privilege that you have churches that you've been able to gather with. There's communities of faith, people who believe in Jesus just like you that you've been able to fellowship with. And so last week we learned that this community is an essential privilege. And you are, when you follow Jesus, you're automatically part of the church. It's, they go together. It's a package deal. And God brings us unity and strength. Last week you heard how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And so 
The first sermon of our series is just saying we need to recognize the beauty, the privilege, and the essential nature of being in community. This week, we're going to talk about something different. Next week, you're going to hear about serving one another. And the week after that, you're going to learn about confession and communion in the body of Christ. But today, I want to talk to you about the power of a day. The power of a day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is the man uh, from whose book we're taking this series. He was forced to move his ministry training school underground in the late 1930s. He had to move into the countryside away from the persecution of the Nazi regime. As they lived in Christian community together, they had to learn how to share meals and do lodging and do their classwork and housework and daily life. And I don't know about you, but how many of you sometimes feel like you need a little more space from your nuclear family when you live together? Anybody? Yeah. Like, are we on vacation? Have I been in your presence for 24 hours straight? I need a break. Can you imagine living together with a group of students, people that are not your biological nuclear family, but they're people who love Jesus like you, but you are running away from persecution and you want to study to be a minister of the Word of God. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his group of students there scheduled a rhythm. Times alone with God, times together with God. And the key is time with God. That's what he wanted to establish with them. And in his book that he wrote, this is the title of these chapters, The Day Alone and The Day Together. Today we're going to be talking about seeking God when you're alone and seeking God when we're together. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish followers of Jesus who were also under persecution. It seems their persecution would stop if they would let up on being so fixed on Jesus, if they would come back to the Old Testament law and the rituals of doing things they used to. But these people, they were being encouraged. They were being pulled away from focusing on Jesus, and they were being pulled away from spending time together. Don't spend time with Jesus. Don't spend time with other people who love Jesus. That was a temptation that the letter of the book of Hebrews was written to address. It is a letter about finishing this Christian life well. What do I mean by that? The Christian life is like a marathon. We start this marathon usually in a a great moment of of breakthrough and, and salvation and conversion. We all have to have that personal experience where we recognize, God, I, I indeed am a sinner and I do deserve your judgment, but you, Jesus, took my place, died for me, rose for me. I put my faith in you. I find my life now in you. What a beautiful beginning to this marathon. And you begin when you start out so loving Jesus that you want to spend time with him and you want to be around God's people. And then as life goes on, the temptations of the world and job and family and money pressures, they tend to pull us away from loving Jesus and loving Jesus' family like we did at the first. And before you know it, 
things can sneak into our lives and we might look at ourselves and we say, I don't even feel close to Jesus anymore and I haven't been with God's people for a long time and you feel weakened in your spiritual race. The Christian walk is a marathon and marathons, except for very few people, marathons are about finishing. It's not about the time you run it in. It's about can you cross the finish line. Today, we're going to learn from the book of Hebrews this encouragement to finish this race. Why? Because Jesus is better. And Jesus is God. It says at the beginning of Hebrews, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's Jesus. Jesus is better than the angels. He's a better servant than Moses. He's a better priest than Aaron. He brings a new covenant that is better than the Old Testament law. He provides a better sacrifice because he is our sacrifice. Jesus is a better high priest. He is our great high priest who continually keeps us connected to God. And so the author of the book of Hebrews gives us the answer. It's simple, but it's not easy. Stay fixed on Jesus. It's simple, but it's not easy. Today, we're going to use Hebrews chapter 10 as our anchor text as we learn about time with God alone and time with God together. It's all about drawing near to Jesus. And so, will you let me please read Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. I'll read through Verse 22, and then I'll pray. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word together today. Thank you for the focus in this passage about drawing near to you because of what Jesus has done for us. Lord, thank you that you give us everything we need to finish this race of the Christian life. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you help as your word goes out? May our hearts be soft. May our ears be open. May we be drawn close to Jesus to know him more alone, to know him more together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Hebrews 10, in these verses, there are two phrases that talk about draw near with something because Jesus did something. But the the command is all the way down in verse 22. Because of these other things that are going on, draw near to God. The word draw near, come visit God, approach him in order to seek his favor, in order to apprehend his grace, which is, by the way, a gift. 
Almighty God stands ready to give every one of us the gift of himself. But what are we called to do? Draw near to God. We must come to him. That's the command in verse 22, draw near to God. And look in verse 19 and 20, our first, uh, what, how should we draw near? We should draw near with confidence, verse 19. Confidence to enter the most holy place. This is to have courage, to be fearless when you come before God to seek his grace. Some of us might have issues with that today. We, we might say, uh, Luke, I, I read the word here, but you know, you don't know me. I can't go to God. Well, listen, keep listening because of what Jesus did. You can go to God with confidence. It goes on, since the blood of Jesus, verse 19, by the blood of Jesus, you can have confidence to enter the most holy place. Verse 20, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. So we draw near with confidence because Jesus has granted us access through his sacrifice. Let's talk about that a minute. Do you remember in the Old Testament, God chose to set up a tabernacle and then later a temple among his people. I've always been curious in my study of uh, the Bible why God did that. Because God's, one of his characteristics is that God is omnipresent. He exists everywhere all the time. And so why would a God that is everywhere all the time need a tabernacle or a, a temple to live in? Why would he need that? The answer is he doesn't need it. We do. God allowed his people to find him in a special way, find the presence of God in the setting up of the tabernacle, in the setting up and the worship of the temple that's why God established these places. He is present everywhere, but he lets us know him in a special way in the temple. The temple. The temple was guarded. It protected God's holy presence. First, if, if, if God's presence is here, there is a room and another room and a court and a court. There's the courts of prayer, the courts of Gentiles, and then there's the place where the altar is. And then there's the holy place where there was a lampstand and some bread. All these things symbolizes the goodness of God for his people. And then behind this six-inch thick curtain was called the Holy of Holies. Now, don't take your theology from Indiana Jones, okay? That is not the true story of the Ark of the Covenant. It rested in the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant was this box specially made. It contained the two tablets of the law that God gave to Moses. And above that Ark, there was two angels that were facing each other. And right there, right there, it says, that's the mercy seat. That is where God's omnipresence was localized among his people. And you, you wonder, how could people get to their God? And the answer is, only one person, only one time a year could go into the Holy of Holies. Who was that? It was the high priest. And he had to go through all kinds of purification rituals, and he had to offer sacrifices first for himself that were offered to God, and then, 
and they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case there was something wrong in his spirit. That when he got in the presence of God and that sin in him was not atoned for, wasn't covered, God would strike him down and nobody else could go back there and pull the body out, so they had the rope. That's why they had a rope on the ankle. One high priest, one day a year, would go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices for the whole nation until Jesus came. Guess what, my friends? You do not need to be the high priest. You do not need to offer sacrifices for yourself. You do not need to put a rope around your ankle. And you do not need to wait till one special day a year. You don't need to wait to come to one special place. You have access to Almighty God through the sacrifice of Jesus any time you want to draw near. Is that good news? You could say amen if that's good news. Anytime. He's waiting for you. And so the command, draw near with confidence because of what Jesus has done. And there's more. He offered his body and his blood to give us confidence. It opened a new and living way. As long as Jesus is alive, the way to God is alive. And last time I checked, Jesus died, rose again. He's never going to die again. He lives, and so our way is continually open to God. Jesus' blood forgives us, and his body, do you remember that part in the crucifixion story when Jesus was on the cross and darkness came over the land? And then the Bible says, and the veil, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That six-inch thick fabric curtain was torn, not from top to bottom. There wasn't anybody planted on the sides and they were pulling. No, it was from the top down. It wasn't from the bottom up, sorry. It was from the top down. It was God himself who ripped open the curtain that divided his presence from the people of the world. How beautiful is God's heart for you and for me? He wants us to draw near to him. And Jesus made the way. I want you to tell your neighbor something right now. I want you to look at them and say, hey, you should draw near to God. Go ahead. Because Jesus gave you access. Jesus gave you access. So, hey, you should draw near to God. There's nothing keeping us away. Jesus opened the way. Well, let's keep reading. There's another statement here from verses 22. I'm sorry, 21 and 22. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Not only should we have confidence of fearlessness because of the living way that Jesus opened, but we should have sincere hearts, full assurance. The idea of there is a true heart. It's, it's not wavering. I know I can go to God. Full assurance is the highest degree of certainty that you can have about anything. So earlier I said, some of you think I, God, God, God doesn't want me in his presence. I want you to know that no sin, no past, no story, no addiction that you are struggling with right now is more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you. And you are welcome 
to draw near to God. Don't let the lies of Satan condemn you again and again. You're no good. You don't deserve it. Just tell Satan, you're right. I'm no good. I don't deserve it. That's why Jesus died for me. Just agree with him and be done with him. And draw near to Jesus. Don't let the world condemn you. Don't let your flesh condemn you. Listen to the word of God. We can draw near with sincere hearts, full assurance of faith. Our confidence is in Jesus, not ourself. It's in his perfect record, not our messed up record. That's why we have full assurance of faith. And because Jesus is our great high priest. He is our sacrifice and he's our priest who offers the sacrifice again and again on our behalf. And just like the Old Testament priest would cleanse the articles of the temple, Jesus sprinkles us with his blood. He washes us with water to cleanse our conscience, to make us fit. We don't make ourselves right for God. He makes us right. So we can draw near to God because Jesus made us clean. What am I talking about here? The day alone. What is the day alone? Drawing near to God in solitude, daily seeking to know and become more like Jesus. That is a responsibility, a command, and an invitation that we have. Look at me. Look with me at these verses from the Bible about drawing near to God. Psalm 42 As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Mark 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. James 4, come near to God and he will come near to you. (laughs) Time Drawing near to God alone in solitude is not isolation, it's actually impartation. We are called and invited and responsible to nurture our own soul every single day. God invites us to know him more, to draw near to him so he can pour in his grace to us. God already knows you, but do you know God to the degree you want to? I pray that today will make you hungry for more of God. Speaking of hunger, who who can guess what is this? Lunchbox, right? You know, and what kind of lunchbox? It's the kind that my kid used for a whole school year, I think. So it's, it's not very new. It's not pristine. I don't know that I would eat out of it, to be honest. But it's a lunchbox that is... The idea, I need to get through the day. The things I put in here are essential nutrients to help me function the way I should. I need the daily strength that my work lunchbox or my school lunchbox gives me 
and I need it every day. And if you were to ask me, hey, Luke, what did you have for lunch three days ago? I have no idea, but I'm standing here because I did eat lunch three days ago. What am I talking about? Time alone with God is your everyday meal for sustenance, for strength, that God would pull you through. Do you have a time with God every single day? Do you have an appointment with God that you protect and you, you have boundaries around? And when somebody says, hey, can I meet you? You look at your calendar. No, that's time with God. Can't, can't meet with people. Need to be with God. This is what Hebrews is encouraging us to do. Draw near to God because Jesus has made the way, because Jesus has cleansed us. We can come with confidence. We can come with full assurance. I grew up in a Christian home by God's grace. I don't know if anybody else in this room has heard of a kid's program called Patch the Pirate. Any Patch the Pirate fans in this? Okay, so I'm going to introduce you to Patch the Pirate. So he, he sang this song for kids, and, and he said, My quiet time alone gives me power to obey. My quiet time alone with God each day. I go to him in prayer every day he meets me there. My quiet time alone with God. And it's a really good kid's song because it's with me still 40 years later, right? But you know what? There's some good words in that. My quiet time. I gotta, I gotta remove distractions. I gotta get quiet before God. Be still and know that I am God. With God each day, just like I have my daily lunch, I have to eat every day or I will die. How much more, brothers and sisters, do we need time with God or we will spiritually dry up? What is your Bible reading plan? Do you have a Bible reading plan? I'm sure that the, the staff here and the leaders here and the the, the life group leaders here can help you with that. I'd love to talk to you about that. My plan every day, my lunch has often looked like this. I don't eat this, okay. I, this is a picture of what my time with God is. What is it? It's a journal. Over the years, as God's worked with me and I'm trying to get to know God, he helps me sit down and I, I write the date and I write a bunch of other things too. But I write the date, Thursday, April 27th, Romans 5, 3 through 5. I write out the verse, and then I start telling the verse to my soul and thanking God for the truths of this verse, and then praying, so Lord, help me to live this out today. And I, 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 I unload on God. He's my burden carrier. I give him my burdens for that day, my troubles. And, and I do this, it takes me, 30 minutes, maybe 45. Sometimes, if I have time, I might take longer. But when I spend time seeking God, I feel strengthened for the day. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I want to encourage you to have that habit of packing your lunchbox every single day, meeting with God. That is time alone with God. But the passage goes on because the Hebrews need even more than that. They, they were being tempted to stay apart from one another and we're tempted to stay apart too. 
Remember, the day together is still coming. So look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're still drawing near to God, but here's some new commands for how we ought to do that. These are let us commands, not, not produce let us, okay? Let us, let, let us do this thing together because we are a community. We need one another. We're saved into this family called the church. Verse 23, let us hold tightly to our hope in Jesus as he is faithfully holding us. The word hold, it means to keep something firmly in your possession. You, you, this is the white knuckle. We want you to hold on, not to your own performance. Hold on to Jesus. Keep secure possession of him by faith without wavering. This is the hope we profess, that Jesus will bring us across the finish line. I have a confidence in the future that as long as God lets me live, Jesus will help me live the Christian life. I look to him. My faith is in him. My trust is in him. My hope is in him. And why? It says, because he who promised is faithful. Jesus made a promise to you and to me, to everyone who is his son and daughter. He promised us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Never. Never. I have three kids, and they're all way tall now, and they wouldn't dream of holding my hand for any reason. But there was a day when my kids love to hold my hands. And I remember many times, say, crossing the street somewhere that's moderately, you know, could be dangerous. My kid is holding with their little hand, they're just, they're just holding my finger. And they're holding on as, as tightly as they can, but their little hand doesn't have very much strength. And so, you know, what I'm doing with the rest of my hand is I got their wrist with my big hand. And so as we cross the street, they, they might be squeezing my finger, but I'm ready to grab their wrist. I think that's a beautiful picture of us. We do the best we can to hold on to Jesus, but Jesus has his entire arsenal of strength surrounding us. Hold fast to Jesus because he's holding fast to you. There's another let us command. Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards loving good deeds. This word consider is think about, fix your eyes on, and, and it leads to something. If you're thinking about something, it leads to action. It leads to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my direction. I'm going to take initiative to do something. Why? Because you've considered it. Take initiative. Make something your priority. Fix it in your schedule. Consider. And what should we consider? 
Consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This word is fun. Spur means to start trouble. Uh, Of course, it's not trouble, but incite, provoke. Unfortunately, all of us with our sinful nature, we are experts at provoking anger in other people. If we want to, you all, we all, I, okay, just Luke, just speak for yourself. Okay, I know how to push people's buttons. If I want to, I can make people mad. I'm sure I'm the only one, Lincoln Park. Come on. This is something redemptive that we can do with our ability to push buttons. We are to push buttons that cause people to do good, to serve, to love, to do good deeds. And in my experience, the greatest incentive, the greatest spurring on provocation to get people to love and do good deeds is when you are loving and when you are doing good deeds. Faith inspires faith. Service inspires service. Dedication inspires dedication. You don't even need to say anything a lot of time. You just live it. You walk it. People see it. And you have provoked them to love and good deeds. The verse goes on. Verse 25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. So how do we, how do we spur one another on? Not by stopping meeting together. Uh, Old translations say, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves. I like that. And it says, some are in the habit of doing. What? I can't believe that 2,000 years ago, People were not meeting together for Sunday gatherings, for discipleship meetings. This has been a problem for 2,000 years. I know that our culture, with affluence, we have options. How do we enjoy what God has given us? How do we enjoy our leisure time? In our culture, we are busy. We, We want We want to fill our lives with good things. We want to fill our kids' lives with good things. So how can I create this? And those are not bad. It's not sinful to be affluent. It's not sinful to have options. It's not sinful to want what's best for your kids. But what might be sinful is that you have stopped gathering together with the people of God in in such a committed way considered way as the word of God calls us to let us consider how we can spur one another on not by not meeting but by meeting by gathering that's how we encourage one another this is how we draw near to God together drawing near to God alone is easy it's on my schedule my time but drawing near to God together I have to make space for that. I have to make a priority out of gathering. I have to be committed to it. There's a lot of studies today. A lot of pastors are reading these studies. That people have a different definition of commitment. Commitment to many people means I'm committed when it's convenient. When it's open, I go. 
when it works out, I'm there. But God's word today would call us to a higher standard. It would say in order to seek God and in response to the access Jesus has given us and the mission that he's called us to, that we should gather together in a way that says, this is my life's priority. Just like a priority to meet with God alone, priority to meet with God together. I think about it in our marriage. We just celebrated 25 years. Praise the Lord. She hasn't got rid of me. And, uh, but you know what my vows were not? I promise to come home half of the week. I'll come home four out of seven days. And I promise to do half of meals with you. Half time. She's like, who am I talking to? What's going on? Of course not. We would never consider committed marriage of half the time or when it works out, I'll spend time with you. But sometimes we do not view the body of Christ with such priority. And God is calling us to view it that way. Have a higher commitment to the people of God. Let us take initiative to gather to encourage and provoke one another to be like Jesus. Can I say it a different way? Do not view Sunday gatherings, life group, do not view those as events. View those as people. I am committed to a people. They are my family. I never forget, we had a family reunion a couple years ago. And uh, I have a normal family, probably like many of you, and one of the brothers, it wasn't happening. They weren't able to make it to the family reunion that mom and dad called. And so we're all trying to be gracious. But my sister-in-law, she didn't know that was happening. When she found out someone wasn't coming, she said, wait a minute, you're allowed not to come to a family? I didn't know that was a thing, to not come to a family reunion. And I want to tell you, according to God's word, it's not a thing to not be committed to gathering with God's people. The day together is drawing near to God with the people of God, often seeking to know and become more like Jesus as a family. You guys are going to have a baptism service. That's beautiful. More brothers and sisters are joining and, and, and membership, this idea of being loyal to a people. This is a family, a commitment, but you cannot demonstrate that without being present. So I want to encourage you. Let's bring it all together today. The day alone, the day together. Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This was the first believers after the day of Pentecost. They made a together commitment. Together, we're going to do these things. We're going to sit under the apostles' teaching. We're going to have fellowship. We're going to break bread. We're going to pray together. They made this commitment together. And do you know that when you make a group commitment, every individual in the group needs to live out that commitment? It's no good for a group to say, rah, rah, we want all these things, and all the individuals don't do these things. That's a farce. That's empty. 
And so they devoted themselves, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 14 gives this beautiful picture of that church when they gather together. The Apostle Paul, when you come together, everyone has something to contribute. One has a word of knowledge. One has a word of encouragement. We in America have built our buildings like this. And I'm not, no shade on Lincoln Park. Our church is just like it. Everybody's facing one way. Unfortunately, you can only see my face, but I can see all of your faces. You can only look into my uh, my eyes, but I can look into all of your eyes. And wouldn't it be beautiful that in our gatherings we had less of one direction and more everybody looking together? Because you all have something to offer, especially if it's a potluck. <laughs> Physical potlucks are super fun. I love, love our potlucks in Bridgeport. Over the years, we've had homemade Chinese dishes, and we've had kraut and sausage, and we've had masa tolly, and we've had, we've had all kinds of things, you know, cookies made from the ready-made pack. Anyway, those were good. But a potluck dish, this, this, is, this is not a lunchbox, is it? This is something bigger. This represents, I was thinking about the group. And I took some time to prepare myself and I made something so that I could bring something so that all of us could enjoy together. And what's beautiful is I'm not the only one who's bringing something. You brought something. You brought something. You brought something. So we're not all eating a bunch of cupcakes. Okay? We get a healthy diet. Brothers and sisters, The day alone is me, my daily lunch that I need to get through the day. But the day together is me thinking ahead and over the overflow of how strong I've been in the week, I've got something to bring to the potluck that we call Sunday morning worship at Lincoln Park. And then we're all blessed because, wow, looks like Luke's been in the Word this week. He was really encouraging to me today. And I'm not just talking about you Getting up and speaking, I'm talking about you having that conversation we just had two minutes for two minutes. I'm talking about you looking somebody in the eye. How are you today? And when you see the hesitation and they still say, I'm great, everything's fine, you come a little closer. Hey, what's going on? Can I pray with you about something? You have something to offer the body of Christ, but you can't give, you can't share at the potluck if you don't come. We missed out. And sometimes you come because you need, praise the Lord, keep coming. We all need. But sometimes you come and you don't even know it, but somebody needs you. And so keep coming. Because God is setting all good deeds up in advance for you to walk in. And when you're committed to drawing near to God alone, drawing near to God together, oh, watch out, world. The church is going to do its part. I'm going to close with this. Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. That's the marathon. That's the finish line. And how do we get there? It says, see to it, all of you, 
that none of you has a sinful heart, but encourage one another daily. John Piper said, perseverance is a community project. I need you, you need me to get across this finish line. And how do we keep a soft heart towards God? Spending time alone with him during the week. How do we keep a soft heart towards God? Encouraging one another when we gather together. It it, it works together. We need both the daily lunch and the potluck sharing to keep our hearts soft towards God. If you want to remember something, try to remember this today. Because we do life together in Christ, I am responsible to draw near to God every day alone and to prioritize gathering with my brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraged together the day alone and the day together. Will you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for their attentiveness. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now and to work. Your word has been taught. And now, will you examine our hearts, search our minds, see if there's anything in us that needs to change. Lord, maybe for some, it is to seek you alone. They've they've gotten out of the habit, God, and today they hear your cry, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I pray that you'll encourage them, God, even today to not leave this place until they have a plan, until they have a Bible reading schedule, that they will get in your word, quiet time with God. And Lord, for others, maybe it's this idea of the commitment that we haven't shown up to the spiritual potluck in quite a while. We haven't been coming with a heart to share, a heart to give. We've been coming when it's convenient for us. Lord, I pray that we would say, world, you're second place. You don't rule my schedule. Jesus does. The one who died for me, he owns my minutes and my days. And I'm part of his family. And I want to live for him. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has not yet trusted you as their savior, today they would recognize their sin. They would just simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve your punishment. Today I believe in Christ. I believe that he died in my place, that his blood cleanses my sins. I am forgiven. I am made new. And Jesus, that he rose again the third day. I believe in Jesus. Powerful resurrection to give me power now to live a new life. And I want to follow him. If you've never made that decision, I encourage you today, turn to Christ. Trust in Christ. Surrender to Christ. Become part of this family of faith and begin to run after Jesus, seeking him alone, seeking him together for the glory of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name.